An online predator is luring people to his house, tortured them by bringing enlightenment through ritualistic pain. It's up to a police detective whose daughter has fallen victim to stop this madman. Hello everyone, I'm Caleb Bouget. And I'm Josh Allred. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. All right, today we are talking about the 1998 horror film Strangeland, or as it says on the DVD cover, D. Snyder's Strangeland. That's right, folks, the iconic frontman to Twisted Sister, one of probably Metal's most loved individuals. D. Snyder himself was the biggest uh, creative force behind this film. It was his ideal, which we'll get into actually in the uh, development part. Um, or we'll go into depth on that, but very much his film. Um, which you would think, hey, this is probably going to be like this well-known film. It's going to be loved. Unfortunately, the reason it's on this show is because it did pretty bad upon release. Um, I it does seem that it's getting slowly reevaluated as the years go by. I keep hearing about it a little bit more about people kind of defending the film and saying like it should not have gotten the reception it got. It was very ahead of its time. I know you're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um. But with that, to kind of give you an idea of like why it's on this show, quickly go over the Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd scores. Uh, so, while I am glad with the audience score of 63% shows that audiences, like I said, are coming around to it, enjoying it, critics, and I made an audible like gasping noise when I saw this because I, I thought it was a little much, 6% for the critics. They trashed the living shit out of this film. Um, Letterbox, it says a 2.5, so kind of like on the average where I've seen a lot of films um, that we covered here sit at. But again, before we get into all that fun stuff, um, to those who don't know, Josh here is a massive fan of metal, especially the 80s metal scene. It's all it's his jam. So Andy Snyder, I know he's, he's very much with that, so I'm going to turn it over to him kind of talk about his love for that d snyder and kind of what led him to watch this film i like that you're saying that the 80s was my jam almost to suggest i mean you're you know, older than me and you grew up in that time don't deny it I, I i was getting there i was gonna say it was a dig at my age it was i just wanted to beat you to it but hey i also look better than you do so it's okay that's up for debate nature nature is you know leveling the playing field as far as your snarkiness is i mean you're going to die before me like theoretically so <laughs> i highly doubt that anyway wow wow i digress wow. so my dark um, paper is going to keep me alive but go on yeah until they stop making it <gasps> don't you say that <laughs> so no like uh i'm a big uh metal and punk fan uh, the, the the very formative years of my life were formed by, you know, hanging out with my dad in the garage with his buddies. They're jamming you know, anything from ACDC to Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses. Um, and then I actually had a guy that lived next door to us for a while. His name was Frank. And he literally looked like he lived on fucking the Sunset 
fucking strip. And he was a Motley Crue reject. Like, had the big teased hair. I never saw him not wearing leather pants um, and a vest. Uh, never wore an actual shirt that I can remember. Um, and he had sleeves of tattoos. So I saw somebody like him and I was like, whoa, this guy's cool as shit. And, you know, he... He, he always had music on. Um, I don't remember exactly what he did. I was really young. I was probably like five or six years old or something, you know, hanging out next door with fucking Frank. And he had a snake. And his snake had babies. And I was like playing with the snakes and stuff like that. So those are the kind of people that like really kind of made an impression on me. And, and showed me that because of what you look like on the outside, it doesn't mean that you're this terrible person inside. It... And, and that is an idea that literally D. Snyder communicates as Captain Howdy in his movie. And it's also something that he really stands for. And I think that's why I really love this kind of music. Um, you know, say what you want about, about people that look weird or live outside of the norm. Those are my people. I am that kind of person. And I would rather be like that than try to hold myself to some rigid ideas that go against who I am as a person on the inside. Because I think, I think as we've seen over the years and you know, throughout the history of humankind, you know, people mask their true intentions behind, you know, some holier-than-thou fucking vibe that they have and this, these ideas that they preach, but they don't live that way. You know, it's always a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type thing. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, like, I mean, I still listen to a lot of music from the 80s. Um, Twisted Sister was always there. Um, Dee Snyder is a real a real big hero of mine amongst many other artists who, um, who stand up for themselves and they stand up for other people. And when someone is going to try and tell them who they are, they're going to stand in front of them and say, you're fucking wrong. Um, I brought it up on the episode for Trick or Treat where D. Snyder went before Congress and testified against the PMRC and all these other assholes who were on a crusade to, you know, get their music censored and them censored and uh, to use a very popular term nowadays, be canceled. And that was their, that was their whole thing. And all it did was, you know, blow up in their face. They, they instead brought more attention to these artists and their music than they ever would have, and movies than they ever would have if they would have just kept their fucking mouth shut and done what good parents do and talk with their kids about the stuff that they're watching or the things that they're listening to. Um, Dee Snyder famously like went in there and destroyed them in the most eloquent manner possible and showed these people, just because I might look weird doesn't mean that I'm stupid. So... Yeah, you could say I, I I really love I love him and what he does and what he stands for and people who conduct themselves like that. So yeah, I mean it's it's a really big part of my personality. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I get that. I know we're making jokes about age stuff, but I only say it because like for me, you know, I was born, I was born ninety two, so like when I was getting into like the metal and the rock scene and all that stuff, it was a lot of the ninety stuff and the early two thousand stuff. So for me, it was people like Corn uh, and Slipknot. And all those guys that were kind of breaking out and showing, you know, taking this more extreme version, making it mainstream, making it big. I mean, I've, I've said it numerous times, you know, Slipknot, theoretically, right, should not have been as huge as they are because they're so ex extreme in what they do, yet they were. 
and it opened the floodgates for people to discover even more extreme shit. I mean, that's how I started getting to like things like death metal and the the deathcore scene that you know got mocked, but now is well loved in the metal community. Metal community because that seems to always fucking happen. Um, it happens with movies all the time. Right. It. Yeah. Here we are. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. Deathcore, literally, metal people were like, that's not metal, as guys are doing music. Well, they have to, they're screaming it the whole consistent way through, playing heavy. But then, you know, bands like Whitechapel and Suicide Silence and stuff bring a little bit of respect to it. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, no, that it's metal now. It's cool. It's like, all right, well, I don't see what changed, but whatever. It's kind of happening with new metal now, too. All of a sudden, it's, like, become cool to like new metal from the 90s. I'm like... I, I I couldn't escape it, and that was something that we'll we'll kind of talk about a little later. Um, it's this movie in particular, and that genre of music is very much a product of its time. And while I think the ideas that D. Snyder talks about in this were stuff that he had been thinking about for years, because the genesis of this came through in like '83 or '84 when Twisted Sister put out "Stay Hungry." Um, and I don't know if that's kind of part of your, your, uh, your production. Um, yeah, it's where I started at. So, actually. so like that is absolutely where this starts. It starts like 15 years before the movie actually is even made, which mm-hmm. ironically enough is how old I was when this movie came out and I got to see it. I'm pretty sure I saw it on HBO first and then I might've, um, picked it up on DVD a couple years later. Um, subsequently lost it. Shit happens. Uh, I did find it recently for cheap, so I got it again. I have it now, and that's how we watched it. Um, and I think the fact that this movie, like, even got made is is a testament to, you know, D. Snyder's credit and the fact that he, you know, he was, he, he was so much of a presence and a name that he could get this made. And, I mean, it's it's great. I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. Oh yeah, I I don't have any doubt. Like like I said, he's definitely the the, the biggest creative force. Because like even when I was getting into like metal, right, and my dad was getting me into stuff, my mom was never really as into like rock metal. Like my dad was definitely getting me more into like you know Sabbath and Zeppelin and um the eighty stuff that he liked. Because he was not really big into the glam stuff. He was one of those guys that hated the glam scene so much. Um, he just mad he wasn't as pretty as them. <laughs> I, I I made that joke. So <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't like it very much. Um, but, like, it was funny because he didn't – there was some – whereas my mom actually liked quite a bit of the 80s stuff. So, like, my mom – you know, my dad didn't like Guns N' Roses, didn't like Twisted Sister. My mom loved them. Like, she introduced me to Guns N' Roses. She was, like – she loved – she actually thought D-Star was, like, a super cool dude. And anytime I watched, like, you know, Dr. Mary, I immerse myself more into the – into that stuff and kind of catch myself up on that history. I remember she'd be like, oh, hey, it's D-Snyder. Like, she got legit excited. She really liked the guy. I can see why. Like, he, he, you know, outside of, like, obviously, like, this film, he seems like just a very genuine, nice dude that is very talented. Very talented man, in my opinion. And, you know, I always, I know we've talked about it before, Gord, I always laugh when I saw that interview of, like, uh, Metal or Not, and they ask him, uh, drugs and alcohol, and his face of, like, ooh, I don't do it, but it's fucking metal. I'm like, see, that's the type of guy he is, like, not my thing, but I ain't taking away from the fact that it's very much a metal thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, he knows, he knows that it, even in a even in a world of outsiders, he's kind of an outsider in that respect, in that he doesn't 
fully participate for fucking quote unquote whatever you know like and, and even that even that is something that is ironic about you know the the metal and punk scenes in general is like if you're not like fully in and you don't do everything that everybody else does you don't have you know like full credit or some shit which is stupid because it is literally a collection of people that don't operate and think the same way that the rest of mainstream society thinks so they went and broke off and fucking do their own thing and live their own life and fucking have their own set of ideals and beliefs but then if you don't fully do everything that they do you're not part of our crowd which is like the biggest fucking joke to me it's like i so not to go off on too much of a tangent but like one of the things i always found amusing about that is like that kind of like hypocrisy about punk rock and and metal and all that shit but one of the one of the biggest things that i came that came away from it for me was like um bands like bad religion or dead kennedys when they had um they have a song called nazi punks fuck off and yeah that's exactly what it's about but they also have a line in there that says punk ain't no religious cult punk means thinking for yourself and that is the biggest idea that i hang on to as somebody who grew up with punk rock and metal and somebody who you know lives like that it's like I don't need a, a society telling me, you know, this is the way you should live your life. Like, kiss my ass. I'm going to do what works mm -hmm. for me and I'm not hurting anybody. So what is the fucking problem? The only problem is you have a problem with what I look like and who I am and what I do. And that's your problem, not mine. I'm not hurting you. But if my existence is a threat to you, you should probably think about the world that you're creating for yourself. So, yeah, no, to, to go, not to go too far into this tangent, but to definitely, uh, the famous word we love to always hear in the military to piggyback on what you just said. Oh god, <laughs> traumatized. Yep, triggered PTSD for you there, myself included. Um, no, I know what you mean because, like, you know, it's weird that, like, even when I was getting into it, as I got older, right, and I was discovering all these different bands and stuff like that. Um, like I just said with like deathcore at first being like so denied by Melcy, and it's so weird that like you had something that was, like you said, they were, hey, we kind of want to do something different with metal and think for you know think for us, blah blah blah. And yet metal went, that's not my metal. Like, they gatekeeped, they gatekeeped it immediately. And we're like, no, fuck off. Like, fuck you. And it's like, why are you doing that? Like, they're doing their own thing. They're actually being as metal as you can possibly think right now. Um, but you're saying they're not. It's just strange to me. And then, like, yeah, when um, you mentioned, like, when people, like, are threatened by resistance, I know I've mentioned to you a couple of times, I haven't had anything, like, terrible, like some people have had that are, like, tattooed or pierced or you know very much display their love for horror or metal or whatever it is that's outside societal norms but you know i got my sleeve of horror characters on my arm and i've had i've i can see them because i'm not fucking well i'm blind but not blind <laughs> um i can see the looks from a soccer mom every so often when i'm going to a fucking target or something and i'm wearing just my short sleeve you know t-shirts and it's like the even just seeing that look i'm thinking like am i really like just passing by just passing by and you're really that fucking threatening at a sight of like cinematic fucking villains anyway. Like none of these people are real on my arm. Like really? Like you just ruined that lady's day. She's yeah. going to be talking about you for the rest of the afternoon and how offended she was. I know it. Oh, it, it blows my mind. <laughs> it really. I'm not surprised by it anymore. I just laugh about it. So. Yeah. It, and you know, it's usually offset by, I usually get someone every so often that, 
wants to come and be like, oh man, I really like your tattoos, which is fine because then I'm the opposite. I'm like, no, go away, leave me the fuck alone. Like, I'm trying to shop. Thank you, but like, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. So, no, I, I get what you're saying to, to piggyback. God, you didn't have to say yep, it again. I had you, to. No, you did not. And now that I've successfully PTSD'd the show, you, let's move on to our, uh, our segment known as Development Hell. And actually, I have quite a bit on this. Um, not as far as like this was an issue to get made, but there was actually quite a bit of story about this, even on to our, its release and some things I feel like critics were saying about it that I feel like we can expand on and how we kind of disagree or majorly disagree. I just don't agree with that fucking 6%. I'm still like astonished at that. Jesus. Um, so like you were saying, the concept actually started on a, on a song, a twisted sister song off their 1984 release to confirm with, uh, the year for you. Um, stay hungry. Uh, the full title for the song is horror Terrier, a captain howdy B street justice. It's a mouthful, I know. Um, it does differ from uh, what we got in the finished film. Um, as far as, like, so the storyline is it's a child murderer, um, as opposed to, again, what we get in the movie, by the name of Captain Howdy. He gets off on a technicality when he gets captured. And then, because of that, obviously very angry, a mob of parents seek their revenge and exact street justice, for lack of a better term there. Um, if that killer's name, by the way, I know we've been saying it a lot, sounds familiar to anyone, that was D. Snyder referencing The Exorcist. So, right off the bat, if anyone's wondering, like, why D. D. Snyder made a horror film? He's very clearly a fan, because in 84, he was referencing The Exorcist in a song for Twisted Sister. So that's pretty awesome. Um, as far as, like, the story, beyond the storyline... The other major ways it the song differed from the finished product is in that killer himself, Captain Howdy. So in the song, he's depicted as a very remorseless, cold-blooded monster with no mention of body modifications. Well, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with just it being a song and you can't really like, you, you've only got so much time to really like flesh something out. And I think that is where D like picked up the idea again because I don't know if you had found it, but he originally was trying to turn that song and that concept into like a rock opera. I did not find that. No. Yeah. And so when it didn't really, he didn't really get too far with it. And then just kind of, you know, he, D is very much a like keep moving kind of dude. And if something, you know, just isn't getting, he just keeps going. He just keeps going. That's why he's been around for over fucking 40 years now making music and art in general. And he just, he, he just keeps going. He doesn't stop. He's relentless. Um, and so taking it when he picked it back up and kind of inserting what he had, you know, I, I guess what he was seeing around at the time um, and probably his own ideas, because that's a lot of his lyrics and songs are very personal things um, to circle back a little bit to the whole PMRC thing. One of the songs that they had deemed like the filthy 15 or whatever was his song under the blade which he had to defend and say, no, it's not about what you think it is. It's not about suicide. It's literally about a friend's throat operation, like, and how scared he was like, like, again, showing those kind of people that have that mentality to persecute without actually looking at what they're trying to fucking get so uptight about. If you would have read the lyrics and tried to understand what was going on, you could take it as a piece of art where somebody is taking an idea and making something bigger about it. And I think, at the time, you, you know, like that was a lot of things that were starting to like 
become more, um, I don't want to say obvious, but more like you just saw more people with tattoos and piercings and that kind of stuff, especially when like tribal tattoos became a thing. Like, you know, they're, they're absolutely like mocked now. And a lot of tattoo shops are like, you know, making jokes about like, yeah, no, we'll cover up our tribal tattoos, of course. Um, <clears throat> but that was absolutely a, a wave and a fad that a lot of quote unquote normies latched onto. And I think that was something that, you know, D was trying to um, use as a way to explore further who Captain Howdy was. Captain Howdy might have had one way he was then when D first wrote the song, but then to kind of use that character and insert him into a world where he can absolutely prey on younger people, even though they're teenagers, he can still prey on them just like he preyed on kids in the original song. I think doing that and then outwardly having him look completely different from the rest of the world, you know, but also him having his own ideas about all of that is, I think, kind of where he was going with it. But I could be wrong. We're not talking to D specifically, so. This is true. Um, that would be great, though. Oh, God, I would love that conversation. <laughs> uh, no, I, and I get it. You know, in 84, at that time, you know, you know, what is it? The people getting tattoos were mostly for most people thought of as, you know, it was criminals and military folk, right? That's that's just who they assumed got tattoos. Well, and musicians. And musicians. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a mainstream thing at the time. Um, even with the body modifications weren't super huge in the eighties. But yeah, like you said, the nineties kinda came around and people start saying like, well there's nothing wrong with getting tattoos. There's nothing wrong with modifying my body. It's not hurting anyone I now I want to do it. And that's why, and that's why, in a way, this one was kind of ahead of its time, um, with its look at body modification subculture in the '90s. Um, the internet, which was just exploding onto the, onto the scene at the time, you know, which I kind of I don't know I mentioned it when we were watching, but it's like, I kind of miss this like small set of films that came out that explored the internet the way it did because it was such a new thing. Um, and the dangers of it, because like nowadays, I feel like it's it's harder to do it. To even have a throwback film like that nowadays because we're so ubiquitous with internet. And, I mean, people are born into a world now where it's there. Like, it's not like... Like, I know, like, me being more 92, I had, you know, we had dial-up um, growing up for the longest time. I remember the switch over to high speed. I remember having the fucking bulky-ass TV that we had to watch. And, you know, when my parents were like, hey, let's go get one of those flat screens because we had saved the money to get a flat screen. Like, I remember a lot of these changes happening, whereas people are now just kind of getting born into these changes having already happened yeah um i was definitely uh at, in that generation that i had grown up with computers and video games but they weren't the way they are now um and then i remember i remember seeing commercials for like the internet and like what it was and and what it, what it could be and then when we got the internet and shit like that it was probably like right around the same time so i think I think the fact that D. Snyder was using it as a way to kind of really kind of show you that, you know, don't be fooled by this awesome invention that is supposed to connect us more than ever. Like, it's just as dangerous as the world that's right outside your door. And if not more terrifying in that these people that prey on, you know, kids and, and the more vulnerable amongst us, they're still there and they can actually get 
more access than than they could before you know before they had to sit in their creepy van on the corner and wait for you to get out of school and fucking offer you candy like now they can literally just send you send your kid a message and within two seconds mm-hmm. they're fucking telling them to come to a party yeah. and they have no idea what they're getting themselves into and that so my review when i was uh writing my review for this it kind of had this idea that i i kind of posed a rhetorical question because i was already i already had my answer to it is like only in cinema do you see you know the fact that like the suburbs has a seedy underbelly and 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 it's not like it is in real life i'm like or is it I'm like no no fucking shit it is it is like that in in real life if, in fact it's quite it's quite more terrifying mm-hmm. than it ever is in something that can be written about and made up and that and that line where d snyder treads with this movie is what makes this movie for me still somewhat impactful um if not i mean all the although like the the dated you know references and things aside um it still makes it more it still makes it impactful for me because it absolutely is in setting this in the real world there are no real like fantastical things that happen i mean aside from you know him getting hanged and some somehow surviving it right but whatever like you're 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 allowed the freedom of movement as far as that goes. But like the world that he, that they live in, in this, it's the, it's the real world. And it was the world that was happening right at that time that nobody really knew the full scope of what the internet was going to be. And from personal experience, being a kid around that time, you absolutely ran into shit like that all the time. You had no fucking idea who the hell you were talking to on the other side of that screen. More often than not, it was probably some fat, sweaty fucking mama's boy who was fucking living in his, living in her basement, fucking with Cheeto dust all over him. Like, that is the kind of shitbags that lived in that world because they couldn't go outside and have a meaningful human connection because they were too scared to do that. You know, like, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an idea that even still to this day has some, some merit. For sure. So, you know, it, it, I kind of wish that we could get something, a, another version of this from D. Snyder. Um, I know that's something you'll touch on later, but I mean, it's, it, it's still an idea that, that's ripe for exploration as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I mean, and don't worry, I'm not saying we don't have like good internet based horror films. I actually think we've been getting a good like surge of like internet based horror uh, recently that I've enjoyed. Um, and I, uh, something you said with, like, you know, the, yeah, the stuff makes it dated, obviously, a lot of the references. For me, because I, I kind of, to an extent, get tired when I hear people going, oh, they put, like, Facebook references, it's going to be dated. It's going, like, look, put any reference you want in your movie for the year it was fucking made, as long as your story is good. As long as I can back what I'm watching. So, like, yeah, I'm right. Like, hearing, seeing instant message and um, the way the computers look and stuff, it does date it. But the story is done well enough. D. Snyder is compelling enough that you can forgive it, right? And same with and even newer films that like include things like the like the Skype horrors or the, you know, including things like Facebook and Instagram and heavily into the plot. And, uh, the big thing is like showing the text bubbles pop up on screen. Like, yeah, you're right. It's going to date it one day. But if the story is the story that's being told is good, the characters are you're invested in. Okay, cool. If anything, as you get older. You now have a time capsule to a time in your life. Um, I'm sure, like for you, with like Strangeland, you know, it's that period of your life that you can remember so vividly because of how they present it, like, so in a very realistic fashion. As opposed to something like Fear.com, 
that was very much paranormal <laughs> issues with the internet. It's the only one I can think of because I've seen that film more than I care to, and I'm not the biggest fan of it. <laughs> um, I think like the 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 paranormal kind of aspect of things, and kind of using the internet in a way to like incorporate that that kind of um that that i think is kind of like a reference for me at least for like creepy pasta shit that would come around and again it's this it's this blurry line where you don't know what you're what you're getting on the internet mm -hmm. if it's real or not because you just have to take what you're looking at at face value you know, and, and that is, and to me, that's a very scary concept because I, I absolutely do not subscribe to that idea. Um, mostly because I grew up in a world where like the internet was, you know, a place where you could get anything and everything, but then you, that, that is a double-edged sword. You can absolutely get credible access to, you know, actual information, but then you can also be swindled by people who are presenting themselves as, you know, authorities on a certain opinion or, you know, claim to have seen this fucking ghost in their fucking toilet. You know, like it, it really, it really runs the gamut of that whole spectrum of things. And it can be, it can absolutely be, be mined and continue to be explored for sure. I mean, we've had recent events in our own, you know, in our own lives now where, the fact that misinformation is, you know, just as rampant as real information, but the fake information seems to get more fucking believability than, you know, the boring actual stuff that is, you know, credible and verifiable, mm -hmm. you know, and it just, it, it, I think it speaks to people wanting to have their voices heard and, you know, but at the same time, also allowing their fear to take over their rationality. And that is another thing that frightens the fuck out of me. Yeah, no, it. I was actually about to say that, like, you know, you know, it, and I'm not, you know, obviously we're both overall fans of the internet and what it's done for a lot of things. But sometimes there is still, to this day in 2022, like you said, a level, a humongous level of unpredictability to it. Um, like you said, the past, I would say, what, two, maybe even longer since um, a certain presidency, I don't want to get too political. It's been nothing but rampant misinformation and people believing it. And to me, it's gotten incredibly out of hand. And I'm kind of like, that scares the shit out of me, how out of hand the misinformation has gotten, the people that believe it. It's like, if you believe that, what else do you believe? Like, when it's, It is simultaneously the best and worst invention in the history of humanity. That's, that's how I'll sum that all up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think uh, an example I was just thinking of was actually, because I mentioned it, you know, there's uh, the Unfriended movies. Um, the first one dealt more paranormal, but the second one went more, like, realistic with its threat. And there's a scene, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, sorry, I'm not spoiling fucking death, but fuck it. Um, there's a scene where the, the guy, it's like an anonymous hacker-type group attacking them. Um, and there's a scene where they are able to call the SWAT, a SWAT team and hack his stereo system to make it sound like that character's shooting a gun. So when he's trying to, like, calm the SWAT team down, he, they, he blows up the fucking gun effect noise. SWAT team fucking guns the kid down. And it's a very, like, quick little moment in the movie, but it's kind of terrifying because it's like, you sit there and they're going, thinking, like, you know, it's not out, what we've seen with hackers, especially now. It's not out of the realm of possibility of something like that to fucking happen. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, there is a gold mine still. And I think there will always be a gold mine to deal with with these kind of films um, that want to deal with the internet and stuff. It's just definitely, like, I always have a soft spot for this era when it was new. Yeah. And the films that came out 
in wake of it to kind of like really take a look at like this newfound technology and what it can do especially horror seem to have a fill day oh no it. of course i mean because horror is all about e expressing and uh, exploring your fears of the unknown and and reflecting on the climate of the world you know during the time in which these stories were written um absolutely and that's just just one of the main reasons why i love horror in general whether it's writing or it's films or it's art in in, in any capacity that's why i love it yeah um kind of moving ahead i know we spent quite a bit of time fun conversation about internet um so yeah like you said you know that was the song version of captain howdy right and it makes sense in the 80s obviously steve snyder when he came up with the idea for the film or wanted to expand on all this with the film i should really say um because it's definitely an expansion of that song I know, I would, I would say. Um, he knew we need to change up the character a bit. So in the movie, he's still I would say he's still very remorseless in what he does, but he's portrayed as a mentally imbalanced, imbalanced individual. He's heavily modified. Um, half his body is literally covered in tribal tattoos. He's heavily pierced um, throughout. And his whole thing, instead of just killing random children, he gets these people off the internet, like I said at the beginning of the show, he lures them to his place, and he inflicts all this pain on them, ritualistic pain, to seek enlightenment. Um, it has to do with the the modern primitive, primitive movement. He was drawing on a lot for uh, this, um, and that was like how he made it different for the movie, and I think it works really well. I think the changes for the movie, for Captain Howdy, work incredibly well, and to me, he was terrifying. Both times, because I've... Look, I've only seen this. This is my, my second time. Um, the first one was actually when I was trying to impress the girl. She wanted to have a movie date. And she's like, have you seen Strangeland? I was like, no, but I want to. So she brought it over to my place and we watched it. So that's actually how I saw this the first time. So thanks, D. Snyder. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are you giving D credit for getting laid? Is that what you're saying? We don't need to go into the <laughs> technicalities here. I'm going to guess he didn't get laid, guys. It doesn't matter what happened. <laughs> All right, go ahead. The point is I saw the movie. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I should have never brought that up. God damn it. <laughs> but to uh, get into this character, for those who don't know anything about Dave Snyder, like we talked about, the man is not tattooed. Um, no piercings minus a septum at the time of filming that he had i think he has earrings now mm -hmm. yeah he has earrings now that's it um like i said you know he also doesn't do drugs and alcohol like it's very much an outsider in his in, in like you were saying outsider in the metal scene which i think is what always made him stand out for me big time um so he spent quite a bit of time in the makeup chair to get for them to do the look um which hey look criticize what you want about the film i think it looks fucking stellar and to this day in 2022 the makeup effect on Snyder holds up well to me. What do you What do you think? Yeah, um, I think like aside from the tattoos themselves, because I think the technology, for lack of a better word, to give people more realistic looking tattoos has absolutely gotten better over time. Mm -hmm. um, the The way he went about doing it, though, was really impressive for me. He actually had a uh, piercer and uh, tattoo artist. Um, as a reference and even like i think he got paid as like a consultant or whatever for the tattoos that anybody and everybody had the piercings that they had making sure that they were you know legitimate 
and not just, you know, somebody going like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool is if we put a, te put a fucking stud through somebody's dick. Like, that'd be awesome. It's like, no, actually, people do do that. And there's more than one way that people do that. Um, so that, I think, is a, a credit to Snyder trying to anchor this movie in reality and making sure that visually... Because, you know, some people watch movies and they're like, ooh, that's not, no, no, see, no, 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 that, that's not a thing. Nobody really does that. And it kind of takes you out of it. Um, Snyder just went that extra mile. Um, and, I, and I really appreciate him for that. So, I mean, it, it could have easily been something that he just, he used merely to shock instead of like, no, this is a real person I'm trying to flesh out. Mm. And to make it even better, he, he put his money where his mouth was and he was Captain Howdy. And he even was quoted as saying, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, that he never wanted to be an actor. But he also knew this character intimately enough that he couldn't see anybody except himself in that role. So I will give D, D all the credit for wanting to be in that position and put himself through that. Because I don't know if you found it, but it took almost like 10 hours for him to get in all that. No, I, I cannot find how long it's like. Holy shit. Yeah. 10 hours yeah. for all that. Every time he was on screen, like, think about that. Oh my that's, God. That's commitment. And that's, and that's another testament to, to the way this guy worked is he absolutely was willing to do anything and everything to get this thing done. And up to and including putting himself in that fucking role. So, yeah, no. props to you, D. Yeah, I'm, I'll get more into it on Rollins, but I, I know, I think I know both our server linings already. But uh, he had zero issues with D. Snyder in the role, and I'm so happy to hear he went that much extra mile. And yeah, I like I said, I think it all holds up. I think the only thing I remember thinking when I was watching it uh, with you the other day was like his tattoos are a lot shinier than mine. <laughs> for someone who's that because I don't for people who don't know like your tattoos very much shine when you first get them because it's it's brand new your body just got it but eventually they kind of like fade and not like you don't fucking see them they're just not shining anymore um usually if they star those are people that like literally will sit there and shave their arms they put shit on their fucking tattoos that's the only way you'll see them still like shine I don't have that kind of time and energy to do that every day with a whole uh, sleeve, especially because I want to do my up sleeve up my other arm anyway. Um, but yeah, um, that was one of the things I did kind of go like, eh, they, want, they want to be that shiny if you've had them a while. It would fade after a while. But besides that, yeah, it, compared to most movies I've watched where you can kind of tell, like even kind of MCU to an extent with a Hawkeye recently in his fucking Ronin sleeve, where they're just kind of slapping it on there. And you can kind of, I've seen like the, the the tattoo YouTube channels, but they're kind of criticizing it. You, like they can spot how off everything is. The fact that D Snyder said like, no, I want to go the extra mile. I want to get an actual person that does this for a living mm -hmm. and make sure it works. You don't see that, and the fact that this was a low budget core from that he took the time to do this in the MCU, which is a multi billion dollar fucking franchise, was like, oh, we don't have time. Just fucking slap some. They don't care. Just slap some goddamn tattoos on there. It's like they'll, they'll, they'll go for a more impressionistic uh, idea of what a tattoo will look like, but also not caring that, you know, people can see it and just taking the, the extra time. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's absolutely another point in Dee's favor for this. Yeah. Um, apart from that, not, I don't have much else on the production now. This is a this is going to be, I think, a fun part of the conversation is the release, because I know you probably feel a certain way. 
I know I definitely feel certain, at least a certain rate when I saw that 6%. I'm really, really upset with that. Um, the film would unfortunately bomb at the box office and be reviled by critics who criticized what they perceived as, are you ready, Phyllis? Poor acting slash direction and unconvincing makeup effects. That one kind of got me. After what we just talked about, and they were like, unconvincing makeup effects. I disagree. The only the only part I would say would be unconvincing was when the the seams were kind of showing at the end. That oh, might, on, that, yeah. That might be the one instance where I was like, eh, I can see it. But other than that, they're they're flat out totally wrong. Um, the direction and some of the acting, like even even if even if I'm even if I agree with them, I don't think it's enough to warrant having such a poor opinion of this movie because really they're they're not paying attention to what this movie is is talking about they're they're only concerned with the surface which seems to be a thing we keep hitting on with this movie already mm -hmm. is they're only paying attention to what's on the surface and not what's actually you know the content of this yeah. film and the ideas that d snyder was you know putting out there and and even even d himself is is very ambivalent about, you know, not having a stone cold bad guy in this because the the way this movie plays out, you know, Captain Howdy has a pretty interesting arc where, you know, he's not as sadistic and evil as people think he is because of, you know, what we only see. And then you see he's reformed and he's back and he's actually taking medication to, you know, to ostensibly fix himself for lack of a better word, only to have him hated for what he did and not, you know, the, the progress that he's made, which that's a whole other conversation about the justice system and all this other shit. Mm. But then he goes off of his fucking meds and then, oh shit, Captain Howdy's back. And you kind of understand that it's not, he's not totally to blame for what he does. He's just an untreated person with a, with a mental issue that should absolutely be medicated and probably in an institution to have himself monitored and to actually, you know, try to get better instead of just trying to put a, a one size fits all approach to it, which again leads to a conversation about the justice system that I don't think we need to really get into that much. But he is talking about that. He's showing how flawed the system is to get somebody, you know, released from prison for some terrible shit. And how that does happen. It happens all the fucking time. And it shows both sides of it. It shows that, well, it, it doesn't show it in the movie, but it was a point I brought up in my review that, you know, people like him, the terrible things that they do, they get off easy, essentially with a slap on the wrist, and then they get released back into the world. But then there are innocent people on death row who wind up sitting there for their whole lives and dying in jail, or worse, getting put to death. And if, and if you have that as your system, that system's fucked as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, not gonna. I don't want to open up that whole discussion because those are just ideas that D. Snyder is talking about with this. And for anybody who digests films and art in general, if you're only purely taking it for the for for it on the surface, you're not really taking the time to try and understand what the artist was trying to communicate. Yeah, and I I I honestly second that. Um, because I'm with you. Like, I'm not saying the acting is the best thing I've seen in a horror film in this. I would say I really fucking give nothing but props to Steve Snyder, but his I thought he'd stand out. Um, but it's not the worst I've seen either. And like you said, um, they're only to me looking at surface, which you could argue has always been something with horror 
and heavy metal. They've only looked at the surface. No one looked any further. Because um, I noticed it more so the second viewing than my first viewing. All the stuff you're talking about with the how he kind of plants the idea of uh, our treatment of um, uh, mentally you know, disabled individuals. You know, our, our kind of issues in this country with actually looking at, you know, mental health um, and pursuing that storyline with Captain Howdy. Like, I remember being shocked the first time thinking, oh, shit, they already caught Captain Howdy? The movie still has like an hour left or so, right? And But no, he wants to, he puts more in and he plants all these ideals. And what I like is that any other film could have crumbled with all this different ideals getting put into it. But to me, this film doesn't. It knows how to put just enough to make you, the audience, think more about what you're seeing, but then keep the story going, keep the keep that flow going so we it doesn't get all crumbled up. Um, having that idea of like, you know, seeing first with like the dangers of the internet, followed by like mental health assessment and like you said, the justice system and the mob mentality part that he kind of brings up there for a minute. Is it right to do this or wrong? You know, who's the monster now at this point to me was really brought up in that moment. Like, is he really the monster or are the people wanting revenge now the monsters? Um, and then essentially him coming back as Captain Howdy is almost his way of saying like, you know, look at as a society, what we're capable of doing. We can push these people back to what we think they are if we do it enough. So he, he presents so many ideals and the fact that it doesn't make the film crumble to me is very impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's why this movie for me still has something to say. And it's, and it's sad that some of these things that he is exploring are still relevant even more than 20 years now. And if you want to go back farther, even more than 30, almost 40 years from when this song was first released. So, I mean, I think that's why a movie like this has still lasted. I also think it proves why the however many people that got a general consensus of 6%, even though I despise Rotten Tomatoes personally, um, it proves them wrong because there is something going on here. They're just focused too much on the presentation of this movie, which, yes, it makes it harder to kind of understand what's going on. And that's and that's one of the things I think for, for me, it's the only really it's the only real knock I have on it. And then I can't even be that mad about it because this is coming from a person who did not have a lot of experience writing a screenplay and writing something for the screen. What he wanted, though, is he approached it as somebody who wanted, you know, to get something done almost in like a way that, you know, you would produce an album or you would, you know, make a movie. You, he wanted to have the control in order to make sure that what he was talking about was actually going to be put on screen mm -hmm. and not necessarily be done to the whim of somebody else. You know, like the, he, he, that's why he was, uh, that's why he was the writer. I think he was also a producer for it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also why his name is fucking slapped right above the title. Like, he wanted to make sure that he had that control and he didn't care that much about getting you know a lot of money for this movie he just wanted to tell this story and that for me makes this infinitely more enjoyable than somebody who takes the path of least resistance in order to, to get their story out there and then that story doesn't even get told it gets chopped up and fucked around with by producers and the money people who as we well know, anybody that watches movies and studies, you know, the history of Hollywood and all these other major places that put movies out, they will absolutely water something down in order to make it more palatable for people. Instead of putting something out there that might be rough around the edges and might have some difficult content, it actually has something to say.
Yeah, it's the the this is a film that to me it challenges you. It says like, look, I'm going to present a lot of stuff to you, and you're going to get it, and you're on board, or and you're going to like it enough to do a repeat viewing and kind of get more like I did on my second viewing, or you're going to be completely thrown off, never want to watch it again. But either way, the movie doesn't care. It's just like you're on board or you're not. Um, and to me, a lot of like, I, I know I say low, but I don't mean in like a negative context. It's just a lot of low budget horror films do that, but it's why I like that scene of horror so much, like the indie scene essentially so much. It's because like along with like Strangeland and Lost Stuff in its wake, it is filmmakers that are like, we want to make a movie where it's not going to get chopped up by a big budget studio. We have an idea that we want to present and we want to get it out there. And we want to challenge you, the audience, as you watch our film. Um, always fucking respect that. Sure, and it's it's hard enough to get a movie made, period. So, again, like with uh, Cruel Jaws when we talked about that, like the fact that this movie is even in existence is amazing. Because this could have ab- absolutely been fucking shelved and somebody could have been like, yeah, I don't want to put this out. But we've got it. And we should absolutely enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. and Not I, for what you want it to be. No. And I absolutely hope to one day see uh, an announcement for a Blu-ray or something. While d is alive, we can supervise that. <laughs> um, as far as the production, um, all I have left is that um, a sequel would eventually be announced by uh, D. Snyder himself um, with the t- working title of uh, Strangeland Disciple. Um, he was actually going to shoot it in C-17 and then do an R-rated cut for our audience, so he was actually wanting to go even further with it, which, look, between D. Snyder himself and that thought of going even further, I'm really down for this sequel. Um, unfortunately, um, as of this year, actually, it's just looking like it's not going to happen. Um, ideals have been scrapped, nothing's been said about it, so unfortunately, it looks like it's not going to happen. Um, which is kind of sad because like we had already talked about before, there is a lot that can be explored in this. And some of the, some of the quotes from D himself talking about Captain Howdy and how he was going to, how he was going to be found in this, uh, iteration of the story is he has found apparently that he has people who admire him, which for him is the exact opposite of what he wants. You know, he hates people that much that he doesn't want people to admire him. And if anything, he's probably going to treat them worse because they have some kind of adoration for him. And I, I think that's an interesting thing because again, he's talking about, you know, a lot of people who are into true crime and like people who get obsessed with serial killers and find them attractive and all this other, frankly, to me, kind of crazy shit. But that's, I'm not saying that as, as judgment of anybody that does that, like go for it, whatever makes you happy. But you're, you're kind of, playing with fire as far as I'm concerned. Um, And I think it would be wonderful to see something like this get put out. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that D is determined enough, don't count him out yet. No, I I really don't want to. Because like I said, I I, I remember something when I was watching, I was like, you know, I know I think he's like, I think he's in like his 60s or Mm -hmm. 50s now. He's in incredible shape. I'd still be down to see him as Captain Howdy. I'd love to see him. As Captain Howdy. I'll say it, hopefully, if he ever hears this. Um, I would love to see him as Captain Howdy again. And it sounds like, to me, much like with Strangeland itself, he he just is on the grasp of what's going on right now and wants to explore that. Because that whole idea of, like, 
you know, having a, a fan base essentially and, his, and kept how, how do you have an adoration very relevant to how people are nowadays but online. Like it's like the logical next step and the, the celebrity culture people are obsessed with online and how they just adore these fans and follow them. And you're kind of seeing now with the cancel culture and all this shit going on, that to me would be so cool to see in a strange land sequel along obviously like I said with just fucking D Snyder Peck as Captain Howie. Yeah, totally. Um outside of that movie, which I hold you know, cross my fingers will happen one day nonetheless, um, a prequel comic book did actually come out. Um looking into it it looks like it unfortunately only lasted one issue and the only way to get it as of now is on eBay and I don't recommend it unless you want to spend sixty bucks on a comic book, which is insane to me when you can get comics like less than five dollars. So but if you want to, it's on eBay. I mean, I, I could be tempted to, to, to get my hands on it. Um, just depends on how reckless I'm feeling at the time. Because I would like to see it. I mean, it's the, the I think it was written by uh, one of D's sons, Jesse, uh, who does a lot of comic work. And he's also friends, uh, along with his uh, other brother, Cody, uh, with Adam Green, who... Um, if you've never heard that story, um, Adam Green sold it quite a few times on the movie Crypt. Um, I think he even has an episode where he talks to D. He has him on the show. Um, so absolutely seek that out because it, it is a testament to D. Snyder's character and who he is as a person and what he stands for as a person and an artist um, to see how his interactions with Adam Green, even though he didn't realize it, you know, the, the art he was making, the music's the music he was he was uh, putting out there had an impact on somebody, and it's it's really wonderful. Um, so yeah, absolutely check that stuff out. Um, and you know, like I said, if you're feeling reckless, go get the Strangeland comic. Yeah, hey, you know what? Who knows? After I file my taxes, if I get a good enough return, I might feel a little reckless myself. Um, that's all I have for uh, the production side of this, and kind of like you know, and I guess like post and all that good stuff release. So anything else you'd like to add before we move on to the awards? Um, no, I like like I said, I, I found this movie um, on HBO probably, um, and it was one of those things like I, I saw it multiple times, and I think it's why it stuck with me so much. I think the only other thing that is really great about this movie is other than it predicting kind of like, you know, the the predatory nature of, you know, what the internet can be and what it can do to people. Um, it also kind of laid the laid the groundwork in a way for, you know, movies like Saw and Hostel um, in using like very extreme imagery to get a rise out of people and to get a reaction out of them. So I would be curious if, you know, Lee Whannell or Eli Roth and James Wan had kind of seen this and were like, ooh, I like what Dee's doing here. Let's let's do something and see if there was any kind of inspiration that because from what D Snyder's done his whole career, I wouldn't be surprised if a budding filmmaker or writer saw that and was like, Ooh, I think, I think I want to do something like that. And then they go and do their own thing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. And as someone who's like formative, uh, teenage years of horror were, was the Saul hostile, the torture porn era. Um, so I have a very big love for that era of film of horror filmmaking. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And that would just be that much cooler to me. I mean, D. Snyder influencing 
the filmmakers are some of my favorite fucking horror films from my teenage years. Like, fuck yeah, that would be awesome. But, uh, yep, with that, let's move on to our awards. Now, I have to point out, and I'm sure you feel so many for me, a lot of this stuff is nitpicky because this wasn't our case where I'm like, I really like this film. There's really nothing like major, like, it, there's nothing really bad that works. So, a lot of what I picked was nitpicky. Um, just got to put that out right now. Um, so with that said, let's start out with our Zack Snyder. Oh, I just realized Snyder, Snyder, except I like D. Snyder more. Um, all the worst scene. Um, I'll let you start. Um, I don't I don't know if it's the worst scene, because for me, it's probably one of the best ones. I did um, laugh my ass off if it's the scene you're talking about. Uh, so for most people that may not know this, because we haven't mentioned him at all at this point, Robert England was in this movie. And there is a scene where Robert England is in his undies, in a chair, dancing around, um, thinking that he's about to have some sexy fun with his lady, um, only to find out that she was being used as a puppet by the newly uh, resurgent Captain Howdy. Um, I say that because like, when you watch it, it it's, it's just ridiculous, but it's also... Robert England just being Robert England and fucking going for it in any scene that he's in and you know his his look of horror when he realizes what's happening is fucking priceless he goes from fucking sitting there with a boner to instant fucking softy and oh my god I'm gonna die it's fucking great I love it oh his his intro to that scene kills me he's just the way the legs are propped up open just enough for you to see everything, I'm like, that's a that's a move, that's a power move. That is a that's a statement if there ever was one. Isn't oh yeah. It? Oh man, I and to, for for D. Snyder to have gotten Robert England of all people to be in this movie is is wonderful. Um, I think aside from D. Snyder's credit in the music industry, which says something about the soundtrack for this movie and all the all the bands that contributed music to this, like. That is that in and of itself probably shows how much Robert England thought of D. Snyder to get him to to get him to be like, yeah, I'll be in this movie. You know what? I get to pray a crazy fucking dad who wants to fucking be in a mob. Like, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, and I get to fucking wiggle my junk in the hotel scene. Say no more. You got your man. I feel like we were making the joke. They they probably had underwear made for him, and Orion's like, no, 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 no. I'm an actor. I have my own already. <laughs> he just came prepared for that scene. He's like, no, I got it. He knew. He knew what kind of underwear this character he, would wear. He came prepared. He understood the assignment, as the saying goes nowadays. Um, yeah, I before I say mine, I, it is like I forgot like the amount of like the music people like in the industry that help out with this movie. Um, unfortunately, one only being quote unquote problematic because of recent um, allegations and uh, Marilyn Manson's uh, song at the beginning. Um, but again, hey, it is what it is. It's not like anyone fucking knew back then, you know? <laughs> well, okay. I'm not going to take myself off of that, but yes. Okay. Um, that was really awesome having all those names. And then, like, I even mentioned it when I was like, holy shit, Amy Smart and Linda Cardellini, like, in very early roles of their careers are in this? Like, okay. Like, it, yeah, he gets a very impressive, like, group of people to help with the music and the cast. It, yeah. Um, for me... Again, this is just minor, uh, minor, and it probably has to do with the in kind of correlation with my worst performance. Um, but it's the part when um, our detective allows the citizens 
uh, Robert England and his good old boy gang, as I like to call them, to haul Captain Howdy off to essentially go and, and enact the street justice. Um, on one hand, I totally get where like they're coming from, and I get like, and again, it does bring up that plot, the um, the theme I'm bringing up about like the street justice and that you know who's the real monster now at this point. At the same time, I think it has mainly to do with the main character just kind of sitting there like. But I'm like, dude, I get it. He he absolutely did what he did to your daughter, but you are a cop. You are a part of the law. They are breaking the law. You should kind of do so, something. Yeah, you should probably do your job. Like, again, I, I under-fucking-stand, but then at that point, a lot of what happens after that, you're like, well, if had you just stopped it, none of this would have happened. But who knows? Who so, knows? Yeah, so like I said, a minor scene, but that, that that's what I went with ultimately. I was actually having, like, some actual legit issues picking a scene here yeah because i don't think there's anything that's really like bad about this movie and i think again this is kind of the flip side to why this show is now like a thing more um and it is its own entity is to take something that you know critics got wrong as far as i'm concerned Mm -hmm. and has a lot more to it um and yes sometimes there are going to be amusing moments um and this episode is not going to be without its own because I found a real gem that I can't wait to share um, in terms of uh, somebody uh, being able to describe this movie uh, and they do so in a wonderful way and I uh, can't wait. But yeah, like this this show is not always going to be about like putting something up there and being like, oh yeah, no, this was really bad. But it's also like, I don't know why people think this is bad because there's actually something pretty good, which I think for me is kind of the, the two-sided... Um, uh, meaning of the title of the show mm-hmm. yeah well and to me it's when we do it's fine because when we do these awards right for like films like this regard it, it to me it kind of reference enforces that two sadness because we're sitting there praising it and then it's like well i still need you to when you watch it just pick scenes that you think all the worst are really at this point just they don't work for you as well as like the rest of the movie or you're um, really just hypnotized by Robert England's bulge yeah which it, it's impressive bulge i'll give Robert England credit <laughs> on that note <laughs> but uh yeah you know like this show like for every like uh the pyramid i have where i am kind of like going no, no this film and uh, like i didn't really like that film i find that i have a lot more fun with films like this or when we did um dukes of hazard and i'm sorry going i don't understand why people hate this film like it's not like it's not the worst crime against cinema guys like calm the fuck down like this like i've been saying the whole time six percent like really like no god no like even the audience score 63 which is like a way hell of a lot better than that six even then i'm like it could be a bit higher guys come on um but still at least you know the audience is liking it so that's good uh now that we've done that little soapbox let's go to our ed wood worst line all lines you have up to three go ahead uh so some of the worst lines for me came from uh, to quote the great Joe Bob Briggs, gratuitous exposition. Um, and a lot of those are just like, you know, uh, the detective Gage when he's, uh, when he's sitting there with Amy Smart and she's trying to tell him, you know, how to use a search engine. And he's like, Ooh, it's an online search. And it's like, Oh, it's hard. Some of that, that, that was probably some of the hardest stuff to like digest or like when, uh, the scene where they find the uh, the car and they're towing it out of the lake or whatever, and they find that piercing, and the mechanic dude is like, "That's the biggest septum piercing I've ever seen." And they're like, "Hold on, let me find it because I because I actually quoted that was funny." Oh yeah, 
So you're saying it's above average in size? It's like, like those moments were just like very cringy to me because it just felt needless. It was only in service to get some exposition out of a character to try and like, you know, whatever. But I feel like that could have been uh, reworked in a way um, in like another draft of the script to like make it better, make it easier, make it not seem as clunky to get these points across. And that is probably for me, like the only real issue I have is the structure of this movie and that the script, the, the, the script felt like there could have been some more work put into it and not, and not in a bad way, just a way to tighten it up. Cause I do think that there was, there was just some needlessly complex things that just could have been hashed out a little bit better and then tightened up. Yeah. Oh, um, also, um, D. Snyder's line when he uh, wakes up after being hanged and he's like looking around and he's like, "What a rush!" That 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 might get my vote. Oh yeah, that's his. It's a, me. His like one one liner he puts out in the whole movie. I'm like, oh, wasn't expecting a one liner. Um, yeah. For me, uh, I I I have two, and they are both in relation to our good old detective characters. Um, the first one is. Uh, our main detective's partner, um, I guess he get they get upset about something. It's really not that clearly explained. They just kind of get upset, and I guess to get back at him to say a witty retort, his partner says, "You sure you don't want some decaf?" I, I don't understand the insult. <laughs> I don't get it because decaf coffee wakes you up just as much as calf coffee. It's just a personal choice and what you like. Um, Again, nitpick, but yeah, it was just a weird, a weird insult by a character that wasn't really that great and kind of great on my nerves at times. Like when he's yelling on the phone at the guy who's giving them the information they need, and then gets mad at his fucking partner for yelling at him for yelling at the like it, it's yeah, guy's kind of a tool. Uh, the other one comes from our main detective towards the end, and it has mostly everything to do with the way he delivers it. Um, and he gets out of the church right after k- killing Captain Howdy. And the way he delivers this line of, everybody's got a choice. I made mine. I'm like, one, your delivery is kind of weird. Two, what, what are you talking about? Like, you, you didn't make a choice. Like, the choice is kind of forced on you. Like, unless you, for a second, thought, like, no, I'm not going to kill the guy that kidnapped my daughter and tortured her twice. Like, no, I'll, I'll let him go. It's fine. Like, no, I'm pretty sure you went there with only one single thing to do, and that was to murder this man. Yeah, definitely. With that, we're moving on, and we either might have the same person, or I, I don't know, because I know we were kind of talking about the same people in regards to this one. Um, the Steven Seagal, worst performance? Uh, it's uh, fucking Detective Gage's partner. He was just not... He felt, he felt useless. And actually, I think there's a great way to sum him up with one of the lines from the movie. Um, is where he answers the phone, and then... Uh, to which Captain Howdy uh, replies, I'm one of those that finds the superfluous essential, but you, I could do without. That, that for me, sums that, sums that guy up quite a bit. Yeah, he, he, I've, I, look, I've seen, I, I think you can agree, we've seen plenty of horror films with, you know, Detective, of, as the main character, Saw built its franchise on that as the sequels kept going. Um, but I don't think I've seen anyone as one up as this guy's fucking partner. It is 
amazing how unhelpful he is throughout the movie. Yeah, I yeah, like I said, he's he's extra. I don't I don't really need him in this movie. I think it would make it a lot better if you know he uh, if Detective Gage kind of just went on a crusade at this point. You know, once uh, ha- Captain Howdy comes back, and he is kind of like you know Captain Ahab crazy about going after fucking uh, Captain Howdy. I think it would have made it a lot better, made it a lot more personal because, you know, you want somebody who, you know, killed your kid to, you know, be a little bit more, I guess, energetic about it. And though he does get there by the end, he absolutely does. I think it would have been a lot better if it was just more about those two than, you know, kind of adding extra characters. Yes, which actually is a great uh, segue to my pick, which is... The main detective, Joseph Gage. Um, only, and look, like you said, he finally kind of livens up at the end, but for a majority of the film, he's very bland to me. Very bland, not that much. Like his daughter gets kidnapped in the opening of the film. It's established that she gets kidnapped. And he, and I, I know in real life, people react to trauma differently. Some people do stay stoic. They really do. It's how they are. Watching a film, though, watching a man be stoic, about the kidnapping and torture of their daughter, not the most exciting thing to watch. I, 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 I want the emotions. I want to feel him being tortured. Like you said, I want, uh, you brought it up. Like I wanted to see him at one point start going off the book and get desperate because it's like that's my fucking daughter. I need to go get her. Um, and like I said, you and what's kind of annoying is that you see at times like the first time he gets her, you see him like he starts breaking down. He's crying like he's. Like, you're like, okay, that that's what I'm talking about. Right there. Like, show me that. Like, that you were, like, so happy to finally have her, and you're going to do anything you can her out And then you see it again briefly when she gets kidnapped again, and he, like, breaks the fucking keyboard, and he's flipping out. I'm like, so it's there. I just wish the performance was there the whole time. Or, like, the script, or whatever, was there the whole time to keep him on that level instead of being mostly bland and stoic. Yeah, absolutely. Um... With that, the last worst thing, the Michael Bay worst filmmaking decision. I give it to the soundtrack. Even though I am absolutely calling myself out uh, as being a product of somebody who survived through that era and lived through it and had to endure all of that and come back frequently to listen to some of the mistakes I made in my music choices as a as a youngster, not knowing any better. Um, yeah, S- soundtrack, uh, especially... Uh, the inclusion of Kid Rock. It's, I like, for, for me, he was like the epitome of like everything that was wrong about music that was coming out at that time. Like, it just, I, 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 I will admit that I got and I got caught up in it at first and was like, what the fuck is this shit? And I was oddly like, it's like watching a train wreck. You're like, you're oddly fascinated by this terrible thing. And you're, you're also thinking like, there's no way this will last. And yet here we are, and he's still making music, and he has a terrible restaurant that kills people. Um, he also has a horrendously ridiculous music video and song. That yeah, came I'm not out. going that far. Um, but anyway, like I said, we're not getting political about this shit. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think it's the, one of the things that kind of like really like dates the movie is the music. Um, but again, for me, it's got a, a, a nostalgic feel to it. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm instantly transported to that time. And it, it, again, this is just like trying to like fill the fucking, fill the fucking void where we need to put things for these fucking awards. Cause like, yeah, like 
it's not the best, but it still it still reminds me of when this movie came out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, it was like I remember when I first heard Kid Rock, I was like, why is Kid Rock on here? And it's a song featuring Eminem. I looked it up. It's Kid Rock featuring Eminem, so it's like Marshall Mathers in his fucking youth as well. Like, okay, um, yeah, having that in relation to how current Kid Rock is, especially now. Obviously, like I, like I kind of said earlier, the Marilyn Manson song that plays, and now with the ongoing uh, case against him, um, unfortunately, kind of Marilyn Manson's the reason it doesn't, you know, it works against the film, not necessarily the film. Like like I said, they didn't know what was going to happen in twenty fucking plus years to Marilyn Manson, Jesus. Um, so that you know that unfortunately is there. But like you said, um, I'm very nostalgic of that. And really, in general, that early, that late 90s, early 2000s period of when they would include like shitty rock music and horror films to play throughout the movie or during the credits. Like, I'm nostalgic because I'll admit it's how I got into some stuff. Like, I remember like uh, Saw 2 when they were playing. I actually, that's when I finally put together like songs by Mudvayne because they played, um, not, not, um, forget to remember during the credits and i was like oh i really like this song and that's how i realized like not falling and you know ed uh the ed gain song nothing to gain gain there we go or Mudvayne, you know so it was hopeful and getting me into a lot of stuff so i'm very i am myself also nostalgic for it and i miss it that's why i really i think malignant when it did it at its opening credits i was like oh, yay i got really like, really excited in the theater i was like yes i'm doing it again um so yeah i'm with you on that uh for me yeah, I know you kind of mentioned it earlier, and I did. I went ahead and just went with the story structure does work against the film sometimes. Um, I agree in that it could have used slightly tighter. This is a case where I do. I actually would have been down for a slightly longer film. I think this thing runs at like literally barely an hour twenty. Um, I would have been down for a slightly longer version that explored more. Like that's how invested I was into it. That I would have been down to see a little bit more play out. But again even what we have is still works really well in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really like the only knock I have is the, is the structure. And I don't know that this movie necessarily needs to be like longer only if, if it, if it cuts out some things that I felt were, uh, extraneous and not necessary and just tighten things up, then you can expand certain other areas like i don't necessarily think we need to have a whole captain howdy fucking courtroom scene or you know things like that i don't think those things need to be explored i think more like fleshing out for lack of a better word or you know pun intended um who captain howdy is and like what he's doing and why he's doing it even though that's part of like the one of some of the worst lines is like the useless exposition is like I think if you were able to set those up better than it feeling kind of ham-fisted that some of the stuff was just like needlessly like tacked in there um, just to kind of, you know, so it's like, okay, well insert, you know, exposition here about why, why he's doing what he's doing. I think if it was handled in a little more organic way while taking out some of the other stuff, I think it would just make this movie stronger. Yeah. Like I said, a, a nitpick cause I do think it works really well, but yes, um, I would have been down for me enhancing some things here and there to just enforce it that much more, to enhance it that much more, if you will. Um, with that, let's uh, go on to our server lining, our last like award, a positive award. And I, I will let you start, but I kind of feel like we got the same thing, but 
Yeah, no, we absolutely do. It's two words. D. Snyder. Yep, that's, yep, I knew it. I wrote it down before the movie even started. You know, you've seen me. I have, like, a my notebook where I write all this shit down so I can write down as I watch. And the first thing I did after I wrote down Silver Lining, I put D. Snyder. I was like, the movie, I didn't probably put the movie in or anything. I just, D. Snyder. That's, I, I knew going in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, from everything we've already touched on with, you know, him having this idea so early in his, in his musical career and his artistic career as a writer, um, this is absolutely something he has wanted to talk about for a long time. And for him to pursue it doggedly enough that he was willing to do anything and everything to get it made is absolutely a testament to, you know, his, his persistence and his ability to endure with an idea, you know, no, no matter what is going on around him. And also his perception as a human being to see the world and be able to interpret it in a way that, you know, he can come up with something to, you know, hold up the mirror like George Romero loved to do and show you the world that we're living in and make you have questions, but also at the same time asking questions of yourself. You know, like, what do you see going on here? What would you do in this instance? Do you agree with what's going on? Do you know who the bad guy is in this? And it's not always easy. It's 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 a very hard thing to 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 come to a, a definitive conclusion about. And I really appreciate everything that he's done, you know, with this movie and with his career as as a musician. He's he's wonderful and he's amazing. And the, I think yes, did I did I really hold on to this more because it was D. Snyder that was doing it? Absolutely. Um, but I also can't appreciate him being able to step outside of his comfort zone as an artist and go through the process of being involved in making a movie. And from everything else that I've heard from the myriad of people in the industry that do it for a living, it is not an easy thing to do. It is an extremely challenging thing to do. And it also like, it also puts you in a, in a world that is not normal to make something that, you know, people can just sit at home or go to a theater and watch, you know, like it's a lot of effort for something for somebody at the end to go, yeah, he was all right. Or, wow, that was a piece of shit. And instead of going like, holy fuck, like I can't believe they were able to get this and put this out for us to enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, being a little more appreciative, I guess is, is, is a way to, to, to put that for me. Uh, but yeah, no, D Snyder, silver lining. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, everything you said, what he brings to it, uh, his performance to me, like for someone who I don't think he had an acting credit before this, because um, obviously after you know, like you said, we both seen him on Hollis, and he's been he's popped up in other stuff since then, and been a delight in everything I've seen him in. Um, especially I love him in Hollison so much, uh, but he is really really good. Like, and you know, I'm thinking of when we went to go see Studio Six Six Six, you know, another film that starred a rock band and musicians that could have crumbled just if they couldn't fucking perform and yet somehow they did it. they pulled it off and they did a re- they made a really fun movie and it's amazing to me when these musicians can say like let's step out of our comfort zone do something different and to me they excel at it like to me the few fires excelled with studio 666 and i i really think these are excelled with strangeland like he stepped out of his comfort zone he gave us a to me, a very misunderstood film that, like I said, audience-wise seems to be getting better appreciated as the years go on. And to me, gave us one of the most underrated villains in horror. Like, to me, Captain Howdy is terrifying, and it's all because of D. Snyder's performance. Yeah, 
and being a character that he is intimately familiar with and has been for a lot of years. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, Silver Lining, D. Snyder, thank you so much for this movie and this character. Um, now that we've done that, let's, uh, what we kind of, well, what Josh hinted at earlier, let's explore what's in the box. So, um, I, there's a lot of, I mean, as, as the disparity was already shown when you brought up the Rotten Tomatoes scores for audience and critics, there's a lot of people who really do like this movie. Um, and it was hard to find like really like harsh, like pannings of things. Um, I mean, some of them are really just about like the, um, the, the dialogue. Um, one of them was from a one star review from an anonymous person just going by the name of Dick, who put a one star and then wrote tinsel comma butt munch period tinsel bomb exclamation point, which is actual dialogue from Amy Smart giving direction to her uncle Detective Gage on what to say in a chat room. So yeah, it's funny and I fucking laughed my ass off then and I laughed my ass off again when we were watching this last night at just you know do stupid shit like that that you know it's. It's again, it's it's funny, but then it's also it's funny because the dialogue is just like, oh my god, I can't believe somebody thought about that to her, to write that. But then it's also like, wow, this is everything that happens now with, you know, the the younger generation teaching the older generation like how to use their shit. And it's like, no, grandpa, that's not what you say. This is what you say. Right, and Amy Smart delivers that line with pretty good conviction. Oh, like she's yeah, absolutely. committed. Absolutely. Like, um, this is another. Uh, this was two and a half stars, so it's more favorable than dick's review um but i kind of like what she says it's, it's kind of funny take me back to the days of early internet where we thought anyone we met was going to be a murderer and not the disgusting late internet we live in now where i know everyone i encounter has a tinder bio that says jim adventure swipe left if you're if you're a vegan <laughs> which i mean is is in and of itself a commentary on how far we've come in this world where you know we're we're brazen enough to be out there and vulnerable enough to say you know we're looking for somebody, but you're gonna have to meet my list of demands before I even take my pants off. Sorry. You yeah. Know? So like that's 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 a whole other conversation for another time. But that's fucking hilarious to me. Um, is that you know we we we, it, we do exist in that world and it wasn't like that so much so as when I remember getting online and I'd go to a chat room the first question was asked asked to me was. A slash S slash L question mark, which if anybody knows, that's age, sex, location. So, okay, <clears throat> I didn't know that. Um, oh yeah, I, oh yeah, those are those are the early days of the internet, my friend, where those are the first questions you ask somebody, and you were not always going to get an honest answer because, again, the the internet is anonymous for the most part, and uh, people like to lie. So, honestly, uh, I I do identify with the uh, the the profile thing, so as you know, I'm on I'm on all the dating apps, and I get so tired of seeing that shit, especially the swipe left if you're this, and I'm like, okay, like you're not scaring me, lady. <laughs> like, are you daring me? Then <laughs> fucking challenge accepted. See ya. Um, yeah, no, it's it's okay. it's ridiculously hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, but and, this is what I want to say is probably the shining example of somebody getting it but not getting it at the same time and also offering quite a 
hilarious synopsis of this movie. Um, if the editing was confusing you about what was kind of going on and what was actually happening, I present to you the two-star review from Paul, who's from Omaha, in case you want to find him and berate him for this. Or applaud him. You do you. Exactly. Whatever you want to do. I want to do this in an accent, but I'm, I'm not going to. Um, I'm just going to read it. And everything I'm saying is as it is spelled... So, his typos, not mine, D. This movie is about what Dean Snyder did in the 90s. He bought a bunch of philosophy books at a garage sale, and then he also bought a Nordic track. Anybody remember Nordic tracks? Mm -hmm. Then, he made this movie. He plays a creative computer user who lies about his age online so girls will like him. His screen name is Captain Howdy because all the other cool name were already taken. He invites girls over to his house for games and snacks, and then afterwards, he does party tricks on their bodies and drains their pee for an elixir, I think. Detective Blong Don is the hero of this movie. He hunts the Strangeland killer because his daughter is missing. She probably just hates him because all teens hate their rents. But it turns out he's right, and she was kidnapped by Captain Howdy. Her father rescues her and accidentally sees her bare chest. This is very awkward, and he considers leaving her behind. Then, Captain Howdy turns into a dork in a cardigan. He's lynched by townsfolk because he's basically a dweeb now with no life. But then lightning strikes twice, and Captain Howdy is back in action. I think Dean Snyder should have just stuck with singing metal songs about partying because this movie is not really great. I think maybe he was just hanging out in a Twisted Sisters chat room on AOL one night and thought about the best way to get groupies to his house. But maybe he was too nervous to meet his fans or his house wasn't clean, so he just made this movie instead. There were no poop emojis in the chat rooms, so pretty unrealistic movie all around. I don't know what to say other than, you know, nailed it? No, I don't think he did. It's really fucking hilarious that this guy wrote what he did. I, I really love the part when he says, like, she sees... He sees her bare chest, considers not rescuing her. Like, I can't imagine if, like, as a dad, you find your daughter, like, ah, oh, shit, you're naked, not rescuing you. Sorry, honey. Didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see your boobies! <laughs> Just frightens him from fucking rescuing his child. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's pure fucking logical fucking that's... mind, the logical mindset of a parent. Yeah, exactly. Right, that, that's, I, I, I'm not a parent, but I would hope that that's not how parent mindset works at all put um, some clothes on i'm not gonna save you from this fucking maniac until you put some clothes on God. and then they keep calling d snyder dean snyder and doesn't he misspell snyder yes he spelled it snyder with a y um you can't really uh can't really say that when you're reading it but yes yeah dean snyder i don't know if he's thinking that d is somehow like Zack snyder's uncle or whatever <laughs> i don't know um, like I said, Paul clearly did not understand the assignment and well, was really pulling this review. And again, it's so confusing because I don't know if he's being serious or not. I can't tell. And I, I think that's part of the magic of this and kind of why I like it is that, you know, I'm not so sure if he's being serious or not. And if he is, then he is a true moron. Yeah. Like if he's being serious, moron, but if he's not, this is like level 10 troll. 
Oh that yeah, I've never seen on the internet in my life. Like this guy's achieved a level. Oh no, I, that I'm, I'm envious. I have seen some some fucking ninja level troll work, uh, but this guy, if he is like if he is performing, he's doing a pretty good job. Um, because it is fucking hilarious, and you're just like, wow, there's no way nobody can be that stupid. You have the fucking entire world of information at your fingertips. You're literally typing this in on something that you can find out how to spell D. Snyder's fucking name, and yet you've managed to fuck that up. Okay. I don't know how, bud, but you did it. Good for you. Good job. And also, how many texts are you sending with poop emojis? Because I send no texts with poop emojis. I don't think he understands how the internet worked. And how you literally would have to type out things in order to convey emotion. Like, literally typing out a smiley face. And it did not look remotely like a smiley face. It looked like some fucking characters strung together. Colon, dash, parentheses. I remember doing that on my uh, my old flip phones and stuff. Like, yeah. yeah that, yep. that, those are the first emojis. I can't believe I feel like a fucking grandpa. I'm trying to... Back in my day on the internet, we had to type out our emotions. We didn't have pictures like you fucking kids do now. Everything's so much easier for you. You can communicate your ideas better than we could. And we just had to make it work. <laughs> With that said... <laughs> Even with emojis, sometimes things get misinterpreted. I know this for a fact, talking on Always. many women on the dating apps. Because like, we're dear people God. and we're all stupid. I'm including myself in that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm an idiot. Look, Texas education. I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, that was a great way to cap off what's in the box. Um, before we reveal what we have for next week, uh, let's do our social media roundup. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Filmgasm Productions. If you want to shoot us a recommendation, uh, feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. I will try to fit them in when I can, but also now I make the schedule in advance, so don't get mad at me. Uh, if you'd like to donate and support us in any way, you can find us on Anchor. Finally, we do have a website that started this whole thing, filmgasm.com. we got reviews, trailers, articles and all of our episodes so if you don't want to do it on your phone for whatever reason or not even youtube you know website get our episodes there they're all there now that's our way let's uh discuss the next week of filmgasm production shows for beyond the bad the best show that we got obviously um join us as we discuss another video game adaptation um this time we'll be looking at the angelina jolie starring laura croft tomb raider <laughs> On Filmgasm, we'll be talking about one of the earlier Marvel films before the MCU was even remotely a thing, like it is now. And we're looking at The Punisher, the Thomas Jane Punisher, which I actually quite enjoy. I, I actually do enjoy watching that film from time to time. Um, on Oscar Sunday, they were discussing 1932 Shanghai Express. Finally, Sneak Preview actually has, I would say, the first big release week of the entire year because of all the various delays for uh, that got pushed to that weekend. Um, as of right now, it is still looking like Ty West's new horror film X will be our headliner. Um, I know I'm super fucking excited for that film, but also coming out, we have the new Guy Ritchie film, Operation Fortune, uh, subtitle, I'm not going to say because I don't want to butcher it on the fucking podcast. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, Wrath of Man has made me hesitant on this new movie. Um, the Hulu original film, or should I say Disney doesn't know what to do with it, so they're dumping it on Hulu as an original film. Deep Water, which trailer looked weird anyway. 
And finally, the outfit, which was supposed to come out, but one of the films got delayed to the weekend. Until then, watch out for watch out with who you talk to online. I know it's 2022. We've had this for a while, but still watch out. Because it just might be someone who wants to show you new levels of pain in the pursuit of enlightenment. See you all next week on Beyond the Bed. Thank you.